So glad to be here today. Glad to be worshiping God with you here today. I know these are strange times. It's my third week preaching to an empty building. And it is difficult to look out and to not see your beautiful faces. And I just thank you for, for being who, who you are. Thank you for your generosity in, in, in giving. What a blessing. Thank you, for, thank you for putting God's kingdom first. And I just want just to tell you that, you know, even though these are uncertain times, and even though these are times that there's a lot of fear that is in our hearts, and when we, when we watch and we pay attention to the news, you know, there's reasons that we all have for anxiety and worry, but I just want to tell you that I believe with all of my heart, I'm confident that we're going to get through this time. I'm not confident because I have confidence in the government or I have confidence in, the, in, in our president or in any man to get us through this. I, my confidence is in the Lord. That God, if God ordained us to be here in this moment, in this time, it means he has a plan. The plan is not for us to just be running to the ground and for everything to be closed down and for us not to make it through all of this. No, the plan for us is that we would come through the other side of this and that we would be victorious and that we would stand on the mountain and declare the goodness of God. That we would stand in the middle of this and declare the faithfulness of Christ. That we would declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is why we're here as believers. It's why we're here as a church. And so I know that, I know that the gospel work's not done. Because I know that the gospel work is not done That's why I know that we're going to get through this. So I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. I pray for you every day. I pray for our church family every single day. And I pray that you would be strengthened during this time. That you would not be in despair. But that you would continue to trust God. I just want to tell you something that we're planning for this next Sunday. And many of you may have seen it on social media. But in case you haven't seen it on Facebook and you're not connected with Facebook... We want to make Easter Sunday special because Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is a special day. We, you know, we're called to celebrate um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day. We're celebrating it here this morning. But we do set aside a Sunday each year to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can't gather here today as we normally do. It would be one of our largest services every, every year. But we can't gather. So we know that that's difficult, but we want to try to make it as special as we can. And so we are creating what we're calling Easter service family packs. Easter service family packs. And what this is going to be is, is that we're going to take communion on Easter service together. And we want to provide those supplies for you. We want to give you a, a craft for your kids and a, 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 a lesson connected with, with the Easter message for you to work through with your kids. And we want to give you some sweet candy, some sweet treats, some Easter candy. And so we're going to have these Easter service family packs available for you this, all, all this next week. And so if you want to have an Easter service family pack for your family, supplies for communion, crafts for your kids, and a lesson for your kids, and some Easter candy, you just go to our website. You can, you can find it on Facebook, or you can go to our website, and there's a form for you to fill out for we can, so we can get your family name, how many people are in your family, how many kids you have. You fill out that information. And we're going to, throughout the week, 
We're going to have these bags. They're going to have your family name on them. They're going to be on tables out in our front awning. And you can come at, at your leisure uh, and you can come and pick up these bags. And so I just encourage you to sign up and you'll see all the information about the timing of when the bags will be made available to you. So we just want to do that to make things a, a little more special for you for Easter service with your family. All right, so let's jump into God's word. Let's, get, let's continue on in Colossians. And so we are in this series called All Things Held Together. All Things Held Together. And this is what was pressed on my heart in the beginning of all of this season of, of, of uh, as things were ramping up and getting more serious and I was seeking the Lord for direction, I felt pressed in my heart from the Lord that we needed to focus on Christ, that we needed to see him clearly during this time, that there's nothing greater that we need to look at during this time than to look at Jesus Christ. He is the one that we must see clearly. He is the one that we must have a vision of before us every single day during this time because there, there are so many things that are vying for our attention and our affection during this time. There's so many things that are pulling our eyes and our ears away to look at other things during this time. And as a result of that, it's easy to be in despair. It's easy to be overwhelmed and, be, and, and, to, and to be fearful. And there is nothing greater there is no greater vision, there is no, nothing, no one greater that we can look at, that we can see, that we need to see, than Jesus Christ. He is the center of our faith. He is the center of all we believe in as Christians. And so this is why we are in Colossians. And we are in Colossians primarily because there's the text that we're going to cover here this morning. In Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23, this text really hones in. On a vision of Christ. And so I'm calling this message here this morning. Seeing Christ clearly. Seeing Christ clearly. Because that's who we need to see here today. We need to see Christ clearly today. More now than ever. We always need to see Christ clearly. But when we're in moments of difficulty. When we're in moments of stress and anxiety and fear. And moments of crisis. We need to see him clearly. We need to see him clearly so that everything else can fade away, so that everything else goes dim and we see him as exalted, as high and powerful and in control. We must see him clearly. And so by way of introduction, before we get into the text in Colossians, you know, the Lord Jesus, he said a statement throughout the Gospels as he was speaking in parables and teaching in parables. There's a statement that he would say, and he would, he would say this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he would tell parables, he would teach in parables, and he was speaking to the reality that he who has ears to hear, to understand, let him hear with ears, with hearts of understanding. And then in the, the book of Revelation, in the letters to the seven churches, he would close each letter to the seven churches with the same sentence, but he added this to it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So here's the reality for us all here today. It is possible for us to have physical ears, but us not really be able to hear. So you're listening to me right now on your phone, on your iPad, on your laptop, or on your TV. And you can hear me physically. 
You can hear with your ears. But it is possible for you to have physical hearing, but not really hear what is being said. And this is why Jesus is saying in the Gospels, and this is why he is saying to the seven churches in Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so it's possible for you to hear biblical truth. It's possible for you to hear even the word of God preached and you to miss the whole point and you to miss the heart behind what our Lord is trying to say to us. And as I've been thinking about this study in Colossians and I've been thinking about where we are as a country, I believe that the Lord is speaking today loudly. God is declaring things today. He is speaking clearly today and not everyone's listening. Not everyone can hear what he's saying because not everyone is awakened to truth. Not everyone is awakened to the gospel yet. But God is shouting in the middle of this crisis. God is shouting in the middle of this time. He's speaking clearly to the world. Speaking a clear message of who he is and their desperate need for him. But he's also speaking to the church and this is what I want to key in on here. What is the spirit saying to the church here today? What is he saying? If I could reduce everything down to what I believe God is saying to our church, what God is saying to every church around the world that names the name of Christ, that preaches a clear gospel message, I believe he's saying this to the church. Now is the time to repent and return to a clear focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now is the time. To repent and to return. Yes, for the church to repent. For us to repent and to return to a clear focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Repent, return to a clear focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech of wisdom. I didn't try to come and convince you with all the great wisdom that I have, Paul says. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So many people, they're trying to place their faith in the wisdom of men. They're looking at Dr. Fauci and they're looking at Dr. Burks. They're trying to place their faith in the wisdom of men during this time. But it is this time that we must place our faith not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God as revealed through the cross of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We need to repent and return to a clear focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message to the church here today. That's the message. That is the message that's on my heart. And this section in Colossians is the heart of the whole book. 
the false teachers in the church at Colossae, they were pointing away from Christ. They were pointing away from his deity. They were saying that, that, that Jesus was just an angelic uh, a representation, just an, a, an angelic emanation of God, an angelic creation of God, but that he wasn't truly God. And so they were attacking, these false teachers were attacking the deity of Christ. And then, they, and then on top of it, they were pointing away from the sufficiency of Christ and his work on the cross and what he provided for us in reconciliation and redemption and forgiveness. And they were saying that the church at Colossae needed to add rules and regulations from the old covenant law of traditions and regulations about food and drink and customs. They need to add that to their faith. And so the false teachers are pointing away from the clarity of the gospel, from a clear vision of Christ. They're pointing away from it. And so the apostle Paul heard news of that from Epaphras, who was the church planter in Colossae. Epaphras comes to Paul while he's in prison. And he tells Paul, this is what's going on in the church. And Paul comes with his greeting and tells the church, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your unity and your love for one another. And I've heard that the gospel is moving forward and producing fruit in your life. And then he gets to this section. It's probably one of the most clear declarations in all of the New Testament of who Jesus is. And he, Paul holds no punches. He holds nothing back. He confronts the false teaching of the false teachers concerning Christ and he hits it head on. And so this is what we're going to do here today. We're going to go through this section in Colossians 1, and we're going to look at Christ. We're going to see who is Jesus. Why? Because we must see him clearly. We must see him clearly during this time. So here's the text, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So this is the ultimate declaration of who Jesus is. And this is what Paul is saying to the church, and so he's saying, declaring to the false teachers, this is who Jesus is. You've been, you've been defaming the name of Christ and saying he is not something that he is. And this is my declaration of who Jesus is. And so this is what I want us to see very simply Four declarations of who Jesus is in this text in Colossians chapter 1. First, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And you think, well, 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 hello. That's why we're here. That's why I'm watching. But we need to see it clearly. We need to see that Jesus is God. What did the text say there in verse 15 and in verse 19? It says, he is the image of the invisible 
God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus was not and is not an angelic creation of God, which is what the false teachers were trying to say. This is what they were teaching. And then the text here says that he's the firstborn of all creation. You know, a lot of false religions will say that this text describes that Jesus was created, that he was the firstborn. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. But that word firstborn does not mean first in order. It means first in rank. It means that he is, he is the first in rank over all of creation. If, if it was describing that he was truly the firstborn, that, that's not actually true because he was not the first person that was born, right? Who would be the first that was born? It would have been Cain. Cain would be the firstborn. Adam and Eve were created and they had Cain. So Cain, so he, that's not what the text is saying there. It's saying that he is first in rank over all creation. Paul would not try to be, Paul would not be trying to feed into the heresy of the false teachers at Colossae. By saying that he was created, he's saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the first in rank and authority over all creation. Paul hits this false belief about Jesus head on. He says that he is the image of the invisible God. He says he's created, he is the image, he is the exact representation of God. Now we know in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 it says that that man and woman are created in the image of God. Paul says here in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the image of the, invisual, in the, in, of the invisible God. We were created, but it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we, we are not like Christ in that sense. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't have... We don't have the, the moral structure of, of, of God. We, now, we do p- possess intellect and emotion and will, but we are not like God, even though we're made in his image. God is, God is holy, and we are not. God is omniscient, which means he's, he's all-knowing, and we are not. God is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. All he's immutable, which means he does not change. He's unchanging. He is omnipresent, and we're not. Are you omnipresent? I'm kind of, I'm here. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm on your screens right now, but that does not mean I'm omnipresent. I can only be in one place at one time. We are not God. God is God, and Jesus is God. Jesus is the exact image of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. And this is what happened whenever Jesus is at the time of his betrayal and arrest. It was about to come, and Philip talks to Jesus and asks a question. In John 14, listen to, to this question. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Show us God. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have, you been, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen who? The Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus is saying to Philip and to the other disciples and to you and I, if you want to know who the Father is, if you want to know who God is like, look at me, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When you want to know who God is, look at Christ. Jesus should never be mistaken as simply a good teacher who came to give us good life application principles to live by. He should never be mistaken as just somebody who taught a good way to live, which is a popular view today. 
Religion for most people, for some people, is reduced to this idea that you just follow whatever works for you. Just follow whatever works for you. And, and if Jesus works for you, that's good. And if Buddha works for you, that's good. And if, and if, and if Islam works for you, it's good. Just follow, follow whatever works for you. But, but that's not what Christianity is. Jesus never declared that. He looked at Philip and Philip said, said, said show us God. Show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He made declarations of who he is. That he was God. He didn't just come to teach us to have a, a good life and how to live our everyday life. He came as God in the flesh to die on the cross for our sins. Christianity cannot fit into that type of thinking that, that you just follow whatever works for you. Because he said things like this. He said, look at me if you want to see God. He said, look at me and you're looking at God. You know, Jesus was having a conversation with the scribes and the Pharisees. They were talking about who their father was. The Pharisees were saying that Abraham was their father. And Jesus made this bold declaration because the Pharisees rejected Jesus as the son of God, as the Messiah. And so Jesus told them, no, if you really believed in me and Abraham was your father, you would believe in me. And so Abraham is not your father. He's not your your real father. Your father is the devil. You are of your father, the devil. And some people say that, that, that preachers today preach harsh. Jesus, man, he cut it straight, didn't he? He looked at the Pharisees and said, your father's not Abraham. Your father is the devil because you don't believe in me. Your father's the devil. Evangelism 101 right there, huh? But listen to what happens in John 8. It continues the conversation. And the Jews answered him after he said, you are of, the father, you are of your father, the, the devil. The Jews answered him and said, are we not right? In saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? He said, are we not right in saying you're demon-possessed? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Wow. Who keeps the word of Christ will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. As did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? And they looked at Jesus and they said, who do you make yourself out to be? So here it is. Who does Jesus say that he is? Does he say (coughs) that he's just a good teacher? Does he say that he just came to give good life principles about how to live a successful life? Who, they asked the most straightforward question, Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you do not, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Who do you make yourself out to be, Jesus? He answers right here, before Abraham was, I am. And the word, the two words, I am, are a declaration of 
God, the eternally existent one who has dwelled forever. And he says, before Abraham existed, I am. I have been existing eternally. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So who did Jesus make himself out to be? The eternally existent one. Jesus cannot be anything else other than that. He is the image of the invisible God. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae. It's what he's saying to us today, that we must preach him as God. We can't just preach him as a way to have a good life. We can't just preach him as another form of religion that people can follow. Jesus never declared that that's who he was. He declared that he is eternally existent with the Father. And that when you see the Father, you see him. That he was not just a man, but that he was the God-man. And at times, like we face today, there will be mounting pressure to reduce our distinctives for the sake of unity. When crisis comes, there will be mounting pressure in times of crisis to reduce our distinctives as Christians for the sake of unity in our society today. But we must never lower our distinctives, that Jesus is God. We must see him clearly. But now more than ever, we must highlight, hear me, now more than ever, we must highlight our distinctives. We must highlight the distinctive that we believe Jesus is God. I was watching Fox News, as I have watched a lot of lately, trying to step back on that a little bit, and I encourage you to do the same. I was watching Fox News, and there was a pastor on Fox News. And so they got the pastor to come on. The pastor was talking about how they're doing church differently now. Everyone is online, and so it's a new r- reality for churches. And so the, the host was, was basically saying, you know, how is that, how is that uh, working out for you? And so they kind of went over some of those details. And then the host asked the most perfect question that could be asked to any pastor. It's a pastor's dream. If you're on national TV, you have a national audience. And the host says this, says, what's the message today, pastor? What is the message that everyone needs to hear today in the middle of this? This is, they were closing the interview. This is the end of the interview. And he said, what's the message, pastor? And he gave him the floor. What do people need to hear? I mean, that's like teeing it up. That's teeing. You don't even have to force your way in with the gospel. In that situation, have you ever watched Franklin Graham on national TV? It doesn't matter what the subject is, what they're there to talk about. He's preaching the gospel. He forces the gospel in. This pastor didn't have to force the gospel in. This host set it up right in front of him. Pastor, what's the message that people need to hear today? Do you want to know what the pastor said? This is what he said. Three things. That's what he said. He said, the message is this, that we're all the same. The message is this, that we have more in common than we have as differences. And thirdly, that we need to come together. That's it. That's what the pastor said. That we're all the same, that we have more alike than we have different, and that we all need to come together. That's the message of this time, of this crisis. And I wanted to come out of my skin and say, Pastor, what, what, what are you doing? That's the message? That's the message that the world needs to hear. That's what the world has been after for generations. That's what they give people the the Nobel Peace Prize for, trying to bring world peace, coming together, unity. That's not the message that the church has today. That's not the message that the pastor has today. You know, those three things that we all, we're all the same, that we all need to come together, that, that we have more in common than we have 
as differences. Those are true things, aren't they? Yeah, they're true. We're all, all, we are all the same. We're all fallen. We're all sinful. And we all are, we are all a lot alike in more ways than we think we are different. And we do all need to come together for the common good. But those distinctives are not Christian distinctives. You can believe that and not ever believe in Jesus Christ. So what is the message? If it was teed up for me, for a national audience, here's what I would say. Christ is what makes us distinct. This is the message. The message is this, is that we are all going to die. That's the message. We're all going to die. Question is not if, but when. This is what I would want to tell all the world here today. You're going to die one day. That is the message of this virus. And it may be the virus that gets you, or it may be when you get in your car to go to the grocery store to stock up for two weeks. That may be when you die. The question is not if you die. The question is when. So the message of Christianity that is distinctively Christian is that Jesus is the only way for hope now and for hope in eternity. And in a world that is looking for hope today, we don't need pastors and we don't need Christians that live in a world that want to minimize the distinctive of Jesus being God and Jesus being the only way. Now is the time. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We must see Jesus clearly and we must proclaim him boldly. Because the world doesn't need a false sense of hope here today, my brothers and sisters. They don't need a false sense of hope. They need real hope. Because the virus is going to pass. And we will get on the other side of this. And they don't need a false sense of hope that their life is okay now that they may not die from this virus. They need real hope. They can bank their life on now. And they can bank their life on in eternity. He who has ears to hear. What the Spirit is saying to the church is, listen, look at Christ. Look at the eternality of Christ, the eternally exalted one, and keep your eyes on him. That's what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae. That's what he's saying to us today. Secondly, as we move on into this text, second thing that we see about Jesus, first of all, he's God, but secondly, Jesus is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. He is God. But he's also the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. Go back to the text, verse 16. For in, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, through Christ, and for him, for his glory. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what is the clear declaration? The Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae and and to the church here at Living Word Church and the church around the world. What's the clear message? Jesus is God and he is the creator. He is the sovereign creator. Not only the creator, but the sustainer of all things. He holds all things together. So what we see in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, listen to this. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning, right? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So who's the word that made everything? That, that not anything that was made was made apart from him. Who is that word? Verse 14 tells us, and the word became 
flesh, the eternally existent one that was in the beginning and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is our God. He is the sovereign creator of all things and he holds all things together. I want want us to look at creation just for a moment here. Three different areas of creation that I think will show us the magnitude of who Christ is. We want to see him as God, but we want to see him as creator and in his beauty and his power and in his majesty as he created all things. Look at the sun. Look at the sun when you leave your house here today. Don't look at it too long, but just look at the sun. The sun has a diameter of 864,000 miles. Its circumference circumference is 864,000 miles miles how big is that that is 100 times the size of earth the sun is a hundred times the size of earth the sun listen to this the sun could hold in itself inside of itself 1.3 million planets the size of earth wow inside the sun we could have 1.3 million Planets the size of planet Earth inside the sun. That's how big the sun is. How big is our creator God? He created all things. And he holds all things together. It's amazing. Think about how big our planet is. We think it's so big and, 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 we, and, and we've never been able to, I haven't been across the whole planet, right? So, so many people that will never go across the, the whole of our planet because it's so big, so massive. 1.3 million planet Earths could fit into the sun. What about the Milky Way galaxy that our sun and our solar system is in? The galaxy to which our sun belongs, the Milky Way, contains hundreds of billions of stars. Astronomers estimate that there are millions or even billions of other galaxies. You hear that? Just in our Milky Way galaxy, there are hundreds of billions of stars, but astronomers estimate that there are possibly billions of other galaxies. So we're talking trillions and trillions and trillions of stars. So what we can see, what they can see, leads them to estimate that the number of stars in the universe is 10 to the 25th power. 10 to the 25th power. So what does that mean practically for us? It means that that is roughly the number of all the grains of sand on all the world's beaches. That's how many stars are in the universe. All the grains of sand on all the beaches of the entire world. That's how many stars that Jesus, our creator, flung and spoke into existence. That's who our God is. That's who Jesus is. He is the creator of this massive universe. He's creator, and we don't even know how big it is. He's creator of this massive universe that we live in. And he holds it all together. This third thing I want us to look at is called the anthropic principle. This is the principle that scientists study and understand that that talks about the balance of the earth. Talks about the balance of the earth. Listen to this. A change in the rate of the earth's rotation around the sun. If there would be a change in the rate of the rotation of the earth around the sun, or if it would shift on its axis, it would be catastrophic. Why? The earth would either become too hot or too cold to support life. It's perfectly balanced. It's a picture of perfect balance. And who's holding it all together? Jesus. He holds it all. He's the creator and he holds it all together. Or, or here's another picture of balance. If the moon were too close to the earth, 
the moon, we're too close to the earth, it's connected with tides, it, huge tides would, in, would inundate all the continents. It would just be flooded out. But because the moon and the sun and the earth are all perfectly placed, we have human life here on our earth. It's amazing. Our universe is vast beyond comprehension. The details of its composition and the clear evidence of its self-sustaining order is mind-blowing. That's just three areas, and I'm not, I'm not an expert. I just copied and pasted some facts that I read. You got somebody up here that was really smart in those areas, and they could just blow our minds at the vastness of the universe. In Colossians chapter 1, 17, verse 1, 17 says that in Christ all things are held together, and that he created all of this magnificent beauty. And he holds it all together. He sustains it. Jesus is the energy of the universe. Creation itself is a loud declaration of the power of Christ. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Wow. The creation itself declares the power of Christ as our creator and the sustainer of the earth. It shouts loudly that there is a God. And it shouts loudly of his power and his majesty. And so when you're thinking about Christ holding the whole universe together, he has made everything. Nothing that was made that is made has been made without him. And he holds it all together. He is the sovereign sustainer, sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. When you think about the vastness of creation... How big the sun is and, and, and the perfect balance of the universe and all that we see. You think about all of that. What do you think about your life? If God can handle, if Jesus can handle the sun and the balance of the earth, if he can handle its perfect position, if he can make sure that we don't implode and and we don't disintegrate. If you can make sure that the sun keeps rising every day, the, the sun keeps setting every, every day. If he can hold all that together, what about our, our life? Why should we ever doubt? Why should we doubt Matthew six twenty five? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what, you, what will, you, will you put on? He holds the entire balance of the universe together. He can handle my life. Can he not? He can handle your life. My life is in the hands of the one who holds the world. This is why we must see Jesus. This is why we must see him clearly during times like this, that he is God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. And my life is in the hands of the one who holds the world. So if you're here today and you're carrying the weight of that world that our Lord sustains, you're carrying that weight of the world on your shoulders, look to Christ. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Look to Christ. See him clearly as the all-creating one, the one who holds together and sustains everything, including every breath that we breathe. Jesus is God, and he is sovereign as the creator, and he is the sustainer of all things. We must see him clearly. He is in control, and we can come to him. The one who holds the world holds our life in his hand. 
Now as we continue on, what, what, what else do we need to see about Jesus? Let's go back to the text, Colossians 1.18. It says this, and he is the head of the body. So not only is he God, not only is he creator and sustainer and he holds all things together, but he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So the third thing we see about Jesus and we must see clearly is that Jesus is the head of the church. You know, the church is described in many unique ways. Described as a family, a kingdom, a vineyard, a flock, a building, a bride, and a body. And the description of the body is one of the most profound descriptions of the church because it says here in Colossians 1.18 that Jesus is the head of the body, his church. Now, how many of you know if your body doesn't have a head, you don't exist, do you? I was actually waiting for somebody to respond to me. (laughs) Hopefully you responded while you're sitting in in your living room there, right? If your head is severed from your body, you're done. Because the body, that the head... The head controls the body. The body is, is dependent on the head. This is why it is so, it's such a profound picture. Now, this picture of Jesus being the head of the church does not carry the meaning of him being a CEO type figure, that he's the head of the church. Though that is a part, that, that is a part, but that's not the primary picture. He is the head like a head on a physical body. He controls every part of the body, giving the body life and direction. Without the head, you don't have a body. Without Christ at the center of the church, you don't have a body. Jesus as the head of the church brings unity and purpose. Jesus must be the center of all we do. And here's what I I fear. Here's what I am concerned about is that if we're not careful, we can be busy building our own kingdoms. We can, be busy, we can be busy trying to build our own influence and our own, our own brand. And Jesus has left the building. The head of the church is not, is not even there. He's gone. Because we have made church about us. We've made religion about us. We've made Christianity about us. And, and the head of the body is not even there. And so the body is actually sick and it's dying. That's what, that's what I am concerned about with every church, that we would never get to the point where we think we can do church without Christ. He is the head of the church. Oftentimes we fight for prominence and prestige amongst each other as as, as churches and pastors and leaders. We fight for power and influence. And the head of the church is nowhere to be found. We need a return to a submission to Christ as the head, to Christ as central to everything we do as a body of believers. Charles Spurgeon wrote about this in the 1800s. Now, I want you to keep this in context. Charles Spurgeon wrote about this subject here, wrote wrote, wrote about the church and this idea of entertainment in in the church in the 1800s and how Christ was being pushed out as a center of the churches and entertainment was being pushed in. And the church was now no longer a body of believers, but it was a church full of, of customers that we had to entertain. This is spoken of from Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s. Think about that. Listen to Spurgeon's thoughts concerning the church. No one can serve two masters, and neither can a church pursue both silly amusements and true gospel preaching. At some point, either, either the church will allow the seriousness of the preaching of the gospel to win the day, or the church will choose entertainment of its customers as its ultimate pursuit. When the latter choice is made, the urgent gospel of salvation from judgment will no longer be allowed to threaten the good vibes 
of the entertaining church. The preaching of Christ usually ceases when these frivolities come in. These things are so opposed in spirit that one or the other will have to be dropped and we know which it will be. We must never get to that point. Jesus must be central. He is the head. If our body is to be healthy, Christ must be at the head of all we do. He must be seen clearly as God. We must preach him as as God. We must preach him as creator and sovereign and the sustainer of all things. And we must preach him as central to all that we do as Christians and as a church. If we want our body to be healthy, Christ must be at the center, not entertainment. We're not here to entertain We're here to preach Christ and him crucified. We're not here to come and have people come into the building to have a good experience. We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so people can come into relationship with Christ and so that they can grow in the knowledge of Christ. What does the text say there? It says that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the head of the church the savior of the body, so that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent is not a word we use often. We don't really use it in our everyday language. What does preeminent mean? Having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. Paramount rank. Paramount rank, dignity, or importance. Greater than our programs. Greater than our strategies. Greater than our plans. He must have paramount rank. Dignity or importance, outstanding, supreme, surpassing all others. This is who Jesus is. A moment like we're facing today helps us to evaluate what our focus has been on. Is Jesus the center of all we do as a church? Is he the center of all we do as believers? We must return, repent and return, and make sure Jesus is the center of all we do. In Matthew 16, I'm not going to go to the text there in Matthew 16, but there's a conversation about who Jesus is. He's, Jesus is asking the, the disciples, who do men say that I am? And so they make declarations about who, who, do, who some people are saying he's Elijah, some people say he's one of the prophets. And so they say, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and declares, says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. And he says, Peter, On this revelation, on this declaration, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So what church will be the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against? It's the church that keeps Christ at the center. Central to all that we do. The purpose preeminent of all that we do. Surpassing all others, surpassing all other things. He must be the center. We must see him clearly. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Look to Christ. See him clearly as the head of the church. The church belongs to him. He is the center of it. He is the only one worthy of being preeminent. May we align ourselves and our priorities correctly with Jesus as first place in our hearts in our lives, and in our church. Can you see him clearly today? Jesus is God. Not just a good man that walked the earth and give us good principles to live by. He is God. He is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. And if he holds the universe together and holds it all together and, and perfectly balances it, how much more can he handle our life? 
And he is the head of the body, the church. And lastly here this morning, as we get ready to close, Jesus is the only means of forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus is the only means of forgiveness and reconciliation. Let's look back at Colossians 1. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by what? By the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is our message. This is the gospel. Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross. And this is what Palm Sunday is all about. It's about the cross of Christ. And this is the message. This is what we must see clearly. That Jesus is the only means for forgiveness and reconciliation. And we were alienated, it says in Colossians. We were afar off. We were hostile in our minds towards Christ. He has now reconciled us by his death on the cross. Philippians 3 tells us this, For many of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Before you were in Christ, this is who you were. You were an enemy of the cross. Your mind was set on earthly things. And what does the book of Romans say? It says that while we were enemies, while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. While we were enemies, he set his love on us. Romans says that he demonstrated his love in that way. The greatest demonstration of his love is that he died for his enemies. He died for his enemies. There's a song written by Shane and Shane that describes this so very well. Listen to this. It's called, I will wait for you. I will wait for you says this, out of the depths, I cry to you. In darkest places, I will call. Incline your ear to me anew and hear my cry for mercy, Lord. Were you to count my sinful ways, how could I come before your throne? Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone. So put your hope in God alone. Take courage in his power to save. Completely and forever won by Christ emerging from the grave. Now he has come to make a way. And God himself, Jesus as God, and God himself has paid the price. That all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice. That all who trust in him today find healing in his his sacrifice. We were enemies. We were alienated. We didn't want to serve Christ. We wanted to go our own way. In fact, in John chapter 3, we won't read the text, but in John chapter 3, it talks about that, that, that people want to ignore the light. They don't want anything to do with the light because they love the darkness and they don't want the light to expose their evil works. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 3. And that's who we were before we were in Christ. We wanted to go our own way. We wanted to, to, to live our own life. We loved our sin and we avoided the light. And Jesus was the only means for forgiveness and reconciliation. And that reconciliation, when we placed our faith in him, was a total 
reconciliation. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5 says about that reconciliation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this reconciling stuff, all this gospel work, this forgiveness and this reconciliation, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he who has ears today, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Look at Christ. Can you see him clearly? He's God. He's God in the flesh. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the head of the church, his body. He must be preeminent and exalted above all of our ideas and our agendas and our plans and our strategies. He must be preeminent. He must be premier above it all. And he is the only means of forgiveness and reconciliation, a total reconciliation through faith in Christ. Can you see him? That's the message we need today. This is what we need to set our focus on. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. God is shouting to the world today. He's saying, look to me. Look to my son and find life. God is shouting to the church today. Look to me. Quit trying to do church without me. Return to a clear message of the gospel. Preach Christ and him crucified. Why? Because the world needs hope. I heard President Trump the other day. And it's one of his news conferences. He talks for hours on end. They just sit there and listen to him. And one of the reporters was criticizing him in his question. And he asked him, basically, are you, are you right in trying to give the American people hope? Shouldn't you be more real? And the president interrupted and said, hope? The American people need hope. Who's going to give it to them? He said, I want to give them hope. I want to tell them that we're going to make it. And I wanted to jump out of my chair when I heard him. I was like, hallelujah, come on, President Trump. Somebody needs to be speaking hope today, that there is hope. Now, Trump is speaking about it from a different perspective. But all the more should we be bold like President Trump and say there is hope. Yes, practically, we will round the corner. There is hope in our world today that we're going to round the corner. This virus will be defeated. But the world needs to hear the message of hope, not temporal hope, but eternal hope. And we have that answer here today. And then we have to be careful, just like the church at Colossae, We can't be deceived. We can't be led astray. During times like this, I want to tell you, the enemy is at work. What is he at work trying to do? Trying to deceive. He's trying to allow, he's trying to get the pressure of this situation to push you away from Christ. He's trying to get the pressure of the situation to to push your affections away from Christ, to get you to start doubting his goodness and his care in your life. And there are people that will fall away, that, that will fall away from the faith, that will walk away. They, they, they will walk away from their profession of faith. Because they never really trusted in, in the true Christ and never really saw him clearly. It's a time of testing here today. And so I'm here to tell you that we must see Christ. We must see him for who he is. That is what will sustain us today. That's what you need today in, in, in your homes today. You need to see Christ.
Read through the gospel. Start reading through the gospels. Look at his life. Listen to his message. Focus on Christ. Can I pray for you here today? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that we see in the book of Colossians, that you are God. That you are the sustainer, the creator and the sustainer of this world. That you are in control, that you are sovereignly in control. That you are preeminent, you are the head of the church. And you are the only means for forgiveness and reconciliation. God, I pray that that would be our focus, that we would see you clearly. That we would not be led astray during this time. That we would keep our focus on Christ and Christ alone. God, I pray for your people. Lord, comfort them, strengthen them today as they look at Christ, as they set their gaze on him, on his beauty, on his majesty, on his power. God, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit that resides in them. God, I pray, God, that this virus would end, and that we would get through this and that we would come again together as one body in this building to worship Christ and Christ alone. God, help us to set our priorities straight. Help us to realign our focus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. And I will see you here. And you'll see me on your screens on Easter Sunday. See you next week.